It is such a delight to be back here at New Freedom Church. For those of you I have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Tim Throckmorton. I've pastored for 22 years. Now I serve an organization called the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., and it's good to be in a church among friends on a beautiful Sunday morning. And I, I love your pastor, Pastor Joe and, and Holly. I love them, and I know you do as well. Uh, if you, let, let them know you miss them because they're probably going to tune in this morning. I miss them. I hate they're missing this uh, weather down in Florida. Last time I was here, it was, a, it was a celebration service, and there were baptisms just after the sermon or before, I, I think it was after, and this was open. And there was no rail. And I was praying to the Lord, don't let me become trending on any social media site, Lord. It could have happened, but it didn't, and I'm so delighted to be with you. I love you, and I appreciate you, and good to meet some new friends, and good to uh, reconnect with some older ones. Uh, this, this sermon today, this thought today, as Pastor Joe called me and invited me to come, uh, the Lord laid on my heart a thought that I had shared a number of years ago uh, about, about hearing Jesus about hearing the Lord, hearing Him. There's a, there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. And every woman in this room ought to say amen. There's a difference. You can hear, but you, you may not really listen in. You, may, you can listen, but you may not really hear. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors and I deeply value his perspective, had a line. He said, there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. And that compares with the wit of John Wayne, who, our wonderful American hero, John Wayne, who once said, partner, you're short on ears and long on mouth. And you can, you can listen in, but you're really not dialing in on what is said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer who as a pastor in Germany, stood up for righteousness and truth, looking a furor in the eyes and preaching the gospel and standing up against tyranny, standing up against despotism. And in his walk with the Lord and his influence in the church, he had this understanding of what hearing is. In fact, he wrote, there, there is a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It's, it's an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. There's no fulfillment of our obligation, and it's certain that there here too, our attitude toward our brother only reflects our relationship to God. It's a little wonder he continues that we are no longer capable of the greatest service of listening, the listening that God has committed to us. Christians have forgotten that ministry of listening that is committed to them by he who himself, the great listener, and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the words of God. Pretty good advice. 
I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. It's often the case as we serve the Lord that God gives us new opportunities, new moments of experiencing His presence. It's certainly been the way that it's happened in my life. In fact, I would suggest to you that right now, where we are in this moment of history is an amazing moment to be a Christian. Amen? If there's ever a hunger, if there's ever been a misunderstanding of the gospel, if there's ever been a lack of understanding of biblical principles, it's the moment in which we live. And God has entrusted to you and I the stewardship of this moment. There's never been a time when the church has been needed more than today. George Barna, who works uh, for us and with us at the Family Research Council as a as a pollster, as, as as an individual who over the years has taken the pulse of the church in America, has through his latest research produced the finding that in America today. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Only 6%. Of those who call themselves Christians, only 27% have a true biblical worldview. In other words, you see everything that happens in the world around you through the prism of Scripture. Understand this. I understand economics because of principles in the Word of God. I understand sexuality. I understand family. I understand government based on the principles of God's Word. That's a biblical worldview. We understand it. We see it. It's like wearing glasses that are pink and everything you see is shaded in pink or blue or whatever the color. Your worldview is developed between the ages of 2 and 13 years of age. And according to Barna, the worldview you have at the age of 13 is the worldview you probably will keep for the rest of your life. In America today, the parents of children between the ages of 2 and 13, only 5% of those parents have a biblical worldview. And so here we are. God's entrusted to you and I this moment to be salt and to be light. As my old friend Talmadge Johnson said to, to us young preachers in the church that I grew up in, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. God's entrusted us, the church, with this amazing moment, a moment where there's biblical illiteracy at an alarming rate. I may have told this story to you before, but one of the things I get to do is speak to students in universities. In fact, I'll be in Columbia International University on Tuesday of this week coming. Uh, A lot of times high schools even open their doors for me to have a conversation on cultural issues that that are hot topics, if you will, and they present uh, extremes on on both ends of the uh, the issue. And so it was in Columbus, Ohio a few years ago. I've been back since, but a few years ago before uh, 2019 that I was speaking to a high school class. It was um, Worthington Kilbourne High School in Columbus, north side of Columbus, fairly affluent part of town. And the topic was the transgender movement in education. Everybody says, wow, that's, boy, let's just get right in it. And and it it was a little dicey, I will tell you. I I followed a professor from Ohio State University that had a 
very not biblical perspective of the issue. And then I came up, presented what the Bible teaches us about human sexuality. And then we took questions. And it was a unique moment when the students, and I love Q&A, where they would raise their hand and ask a question. And one young man uh, on this side of the room, I remember, and it was a, it was a hard floor, and these were metal chairs. And so he, he stood up to ask the question. The question was this. He said, would you change your worldview if your daughter came to you and said she was, she was uh, gay? And I said, no, I wouldn't change my worldview. I may not agree from a biblical perspective, but I, I wouldn't change my worldview. I'd love her. I'm her dad. <laughs> he said, well, what if this? And he asked me the same question about three times. What if this? Would you change your worldview? What if that? And, and I said, no, there's nothing that could make me change my worldview. Nothing. And then, in a huff, <laughs> he sat down, and the, and the chair rattled, and everybody turned and looked. He was mad. When the Q&A was over, he made a beeline right down the aisle for me, and I thought, well, glory. <laughs> He's big enough to mop the floor with me, and I thought, here we go. And he walked right up, got right in my face, and this is what he said. He said, I wasn't mad at you, <laughs> to which I was greatly relieved. He said, I was mad because you have something that won't change. And it occurred to me. Here's a high school student in Columbus, Ohio, representative of millions of young men and women of that age around this country today, in this world today, who have never known an absolute truth. We know the truth. This great worship team sang about the truth. We worship the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And God's entrusted you and I with this moment. All over the world, there are questions about the pandemic. There are questions about, about, about terrorism and governments and, and, and what's true and what's real and what's right and what's wrong. And you and I know the truth. You and I, God has handed to us this incredible moment to represent him in a world that needs him. What better time for the church of Jesus Christ to seize the moment, seize the opportunity. You see, the word of God is, was sung about, and I love the, I love the song. I loved your song. The word of God can set the captive free. Amen? The word of God, the word of God can still land in, a, in the heart and the life of a man or a woman or a young man or a young woman and, or a child's heart, as I heard earlier today, and it can begin to work. The Holy Spirit can penetrate the mind and the heart of that individual, and they'll realize their need for a Savior, and they'll seek the Lord while he can be found and call upon him while he is near. And God can still change lives today. The world needs Jesus. The world needs to know the God of this Bible. And we know him. <laughs> now what are we going to do with that knowledge and that responsibility? God says, I choose you to exist in this particular moment. It's that important. Now i got to get to... To Mark chapter number 9 real quick here. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin reading at verse number 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. 
And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto him, unto them, Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, two things. I, I'm going to pause right there. Two I, very important things. Um, number one, if Elijah and Moses showed up here today, we'd probably do one or two things. We'd fall down on our feet and worship, or we would, we would exit post-haste. Because <laughs> these two brothers have been gone a long time. And they, they were there with Jesus. Now Luke 9 records this same occurrence, this same moment in the life of Jesus, and it, and it tells us what they were talking about. They were talking about the, the impending death of Jesus on the cross in Jerusalem. That's what they were discussing. Now, it goes on to say, Verse 5, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he, <laughs> he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. That, let me translate that into plain English. He didn't know whether to spit or wind his watch. He was scared to death. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, hear me, this is my beloved son, hear him. Amen. And suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And Jesus was giving these boys, these men, an amazing opportunity. He was laying before them an amazing moment, an amazing truth. Someone said that we are all faced with Great opportunities disguised as impossible situations. Every time something goes this way or that and it's not in our day planner or in our schedule and we think this is such an intrusion, often God's taking a moment like that and he wants to do something that he's never done before in your life. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. If you've experienced that, say amen. Amen. <laughs> I was climbing a corporate ladder years ago. I thought I had it all worked out, and God said, nope, I got something else for you. And God's got just what you need, an amazing opportunity. He was giving them something they would never forget. Now, let's just take inventory here quickly and discuss for a, for a moment or two who was there. First, there was Moses. There was Moses. You think of Moses, you think of this, this life fleeing Egypt, this Egyptian prince, and then he, we, we next see him in Midian where he, uh, he, he takes his first steps of becoming a man of selfless dedication. The women would tell their father, you remember, that this Egyptian delivered them from the hand of the shepherds, and, and then he drew the water for the flock. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's a transformational moment that God is using in the life of Moses. And this thought really moves me. If you, if you can't do the good you would, do the good you can God, God put him in a place where he, he, was, he was a prince down there in Egypt, but now he's out here watering flocks. And whatever God puts your hand to do, let me just throw this out as a pastor. Whatever God puts, your hands, uh, puts in your hands to do in the church, in ministry, do the very best you can. Do it with all of your heart. 
I don't care what it is. Whatever God's called you to do, be the best at it you can be because you're not doing it for the church. You're not doing it for just ministry. You're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it for him. Sometimes failure teaches us, and that's what was happening. And Moses' attitude comes forth, and he has this amazing life. God uses Moses, trains him on the backside of the desert, gets his attention from a burning bush, and sends him to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel from bondage. What an amazing story, an amazing life. You can make a movie out of that. But then we see him at the end of his life. I've been to Mount Nebo. I've seen the, the place where they say he looked over into the promised land. He wouldn't go. He couldn't go. God wouldn't allow him to go, but he got to see it. He got to see it afar off. And as I think of Moses, I always think of that moment in his life. There are other great things to remember, but I never want to forget that moment because that was a moment that reminds us of what God wanted to do, but he couldn't. Let me say, I don't want to get to the end of my life and just barely make it to heaven. I'm going to qualify that. I don't want to just barely get by as a Christian and just struggle from day to day. I believe God's got a victorious life for his children. I believe God wants to bless us and he wants to use us. And sometimes it's in the hardest of times God blesses us the most. (laughs) It's been my experience. And here's Moses looking over in. I, I, you, you, we all imagine the words that, that we want to hear. My dad went into hospice care uh, two weeks ago, and we're journeying through him with him through that season. And, and I, you, your mind goes to those moments when a, a loved one takes their last breath here and opens their eyes there and hears the voice of the Lord saying, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And, and I think of that in, in, your, in, in my mind as someone leaves, and, leaves here and goes there. <laughs> but I don't want to get to heaven and the Lord welcome me into heaven and say, you've been faithful and, and enter in. And, and then him say, but you know, Tim, you, you, you just should imagine what I wanted to do with your life. I, I wanted to do so much more. You're here, but I wanted to do so much more. That's Tim's translation there. Don't panic or turn me into pastor. God wants to do immeasurably more. In fact, Paul would write to the church. He said, unto him now who is able to do, and he thought that's not enough, that's not, that's not enough. Who's able to do exceeding. And then he's imagining, no, that's not enough. Exceeding abundantly. And, and he goes and adds abundantly above all which you can ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. God wants to do more with this church in your life than we can imagine. Amen. God's presenting us day after day, moment after moment, experience after experience with new opportunities to be who he's called us to be right now. And I don't want to miss a thing that God has for me. Amen. Amen. There's Moses. And then, then there's Elijah. Elijah, the prophet. <laughs> Elijah... Moses, I believe, represents the law. Elijah represents the the prophecies and the the words that foretold Jesus' coming. 
And we can't think of Elijah without remembering the threat of Jezebel after Mount Carmel and, and after the prophets were killed and Jezebel, Queen Jezebel puts a head out on his life and, and, and you'd think that, that, that he would stand strong and stand up after what God had done, proving himself true there on Mount Carmel. Yet, when Jezebel threatened, uh, Elijah turned and ran and he hid. And there he is. We find him down there hiding, and God comes to where he is and shows up, which, which really proves to us that Elijah was a guy. Uh, he was a person just like us. He was a man. He was a human. James describes him as subject to like passions as we are. And often we'll think we're, we're just too strong. We can't show any weakness. Often God can use us when we're open and confess our weakness among our peers and among our friends. That's why ministries and small groups and, and prayer meetings and men's prayer breakfasts and those settings where we come together with fellow believers and we can just open up and be ourselves. that's why those are so important to us. Here's... Here's Elijah down there hiding, a man that from the, the heights of Mount Carmel had prayed fire from heaven, and now he's hiding in the bushes. And God comes along. We find this, this picture for us and that experience, and God comes along. I love this in chapter 19 of, of, of 1 Kings where God asks, what are you doing here? <laughs> Elijah, what are you doing here? Not a bad question. The Bible's full of questions. But maybe the question today is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here right now? Not what are you doing sitting. I know you're sitting. And I hope you're listening. I hope you're hearing. <laughs> but what are you doing? What is God doing in you right now? What, is, what are you doing here? It's a good question. Elijah was worrying about things that never never happened. In fact, he, what he was scared of never came to pass. And that's often the case in our lives. The things that you're thinking about that have maybe even commanded your attention and your mind since you've been here today, you worry or you, you're, you're troubled about things and often the things we worry about don't even happen. Amen? But boy, they can consume us. They can eat us up. Elijah reminds me that sometimes the greatest battles come after the greatest victories. It's been so in my life. That's why as a pastor, I never took Monday off. Because <laughs> a big, high, strong day on Sunday, I didn't want to take Monday off. I, I, I wanted to work and get ready, and, and, and I knew that the enemy was going to attack after the great blessing of God on the church. The enemy would be at work and, and try to take things apart and mess things up. I, I know how, we're not ignorant of his devices. We know how that works. Elijah experienced that. But the great thing about Elijah that I don't want to ever forget is that although God didn't keep him from the problem, he kept him through the problem. Amen. And he didn't turn his back on him even after he cowered and ran. I love it. God didn't come down there and snatch Elijah up and slap him around a little bit. He didn't do that. But he showed him his presence. 
He, he made himself real to Elijah, and as he came along in a still, small voice, in a fresh touch, that's what these disciples were experiencing on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what we know and see throughout the life of Moses. He over and over experienced a fresh touch from God, and Elijah would experience a fresh touch in his life and his ministry. Sometimes that's what we need. We need to stay fresh. Amen? We need to spiritually stay fresh. Don't ever get stale. <laughs> How many of you like stale food? Don't get stale, spiritually speaking. Stay fresh. Stay, stay. My, one, of my, one of my staff members years ago used to say, stay worshiped up. <laughs> stay worshiped up. I was talking to your worship pastor I think she's over there. Right there she is. <clears throat> we, we know some folks. She kind of grew up down. Uh, her family was from where I grew up. And, and there's a little church, Sacred Mission, out on the ridge around the, around the um, uh, fire station. Actually, it's, one, it's a little church, and the fire station was right next door. And you could be halfway through a sermon or a song, and the fire alarm would go off. It was so exciting. It lit everybody up. You just had to hold on. You could shout over it, or you could just pause and take off when it was done. It was, it was fun. But I remember, I remember preaching there, and I remember moments where, you know, we, we, we sensed God's presence in so many ways and revivals that, that would take place. I grew up in preaching at and singing at as a young preacher and a young uh, Christian, how God would work and how God would come in fresh ways. I never want to miss a fresh touch from God. What, what would it be like if every Sunday morning you dedicated, you committed yourself to coming expecting a fresh touch from God? Amen. What, would your, what, you, what would your worship service be like? Your, your worship pastor saying, amen, amen. Do that every Sunday. But what about in the morning when you read the Bible or you have your devotions or you study the scriptures? What if you expected something fresh every time? I've been married to my wife 41 years, my high school sweetheart. And she asked me yesterday, because I'm leaving, I was leaving, I'm headed to the Carolinas. I'll leave here, go to the airport and fly. And I'm speaking in South Carolina, North Carolina all next week. And so she said, what do you want me to make you? Uh, what kind of meal you want? What do, what do you want tonight before, before you leave? And, and I, I like her cooking. <laughs> Look at me. I was 150 pounds soaking wet when I met her. She can cook. <clears throat> she can make a biscuit and she can make gravy and <clears throat> I'm getting hungry. So It's fresh. <laughs> There's something about fresh food. Something about a fresh experience. Stay fresh. There's Moses. There's Elijah. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, spend too much time here. But I don't want to miss one other person we meet in this little exchange, and that's Peter. God bless Peter. I love Peter. Don't you love Peter? He just said it. They thought it, but he always said it. And so there he is in that moment. He sees Moses. He sees Elijah. 
And he thinks, I got to do something. I got to say something. So he speaks up. He said, let's just build three tabernacles right here. Missing everything. He just missed it all, but he spoke up. Sometimes, sometimes it's not bad to just not speak. I'm going to leave that out there. I mean, I, I, you don't know everything. I, I don't know everything. Often I, would, I learned this over the years in ministry and you know, going to meetings, sitting on boards. <clears throat> Sometimes we'd get in a meeting and people would add their two cents worth of lot. I'd just sit there. Often I didn't know what to say. I had no clue, but you just sit there. Try it sometime. Just sit there. People will think you're deep. Really, this guy's got it together. He's really, he's dialed in, you know, and, and, and just, just kind of be still and just look deep. And, and, and so this is where, and I love this. I love this. Peter, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> they were afraid, sore afraid. I would have been too. You would have been too. So he just had to say something. And, and it's usually not the right thing when we do it that way. But what happens next? Don't miss what happens next because God, God is a God of fresh and new opportunities. <laughs> Peter didn't know what to say, but then, then God said something. Don't miss that. God said something. I don't want to be speaking when God's about to say something. I don't want to get in the way when God's about to do something. I don't want my will and my way and my design <clears throat> on anything to get in the way of what God wants to say and what God wants to do. And it's at that moment, it's at that moment when God says, this is my beloved son. <laughs> what Peter said became irrelevant immediately. This is my beloved son. Hear him. There's one more piece of this that I don't want us to miss. It, it really gives us the, the posture of the whole moment. And that's when you go back to chapter 8 and begin at verse 34. What was happening? It was after six days they went up there, but what had just happened in Jesus' ministry? <clears throat> well, if you go back into chapter 8, you'll see in verse 34 where it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What was happening was that some folks were dropping off. <laughs> they were saying, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I like the, the sermons and I love the, the, the fellowship and the meals. <laughs> and, and there was a bunch of folks following him. But what was happening now was Jesus was, was kind of dialing down and, and he was calling people to accountability and to what this is really all about. You see, what, what it's really all about isn't just coming to church. Amen. Amen. It's about being the church. <laughs> when we leave this place, to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus and needs to hear Jesus. 
He didn't sign up for this. God, God spelled it out here. It was, it was an amazing moment. It wasn't about fact. It was an amazing place to be. The presence of God was there, and there wasn't even a building up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, it wasn't about the building. It was about <coughs> hearing Jesus. So let me ask, when was the last time that you heard from Jesus? When was the last time you heard him speak to your heart and your life through a song or a message or a devotion time or a study group or just sitting alone with God and him putting something in your heart that's fresh and new. Are you seeking that? Do you want that? I desire those moments. I need those moments. I can't live without those moments. I need God's fresh presence in my heart and my life. God spoke to me as a young boy of 14 years of age, and I came to a little altar in a church camp and gave my heart and life to Jesus, and, and I knew something had changed. And it was an amazing moment in my life, but I kept listening. And then I would hear him speak again. And he began to call me when I didn't understand what was going. God was speaking and I was hearing him. And he called me to preach the gospel. And then he called me to pastor a church. And he's called me in different directions and for different moments in my life and ministry. Just like he's done for you. And he wants to continue. God has new opportunities for you and I each and every day. And I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss a moment. Are you listening? Or maybe more importantly, are you hearing him? Um, I mentioned I, I'm leaving and going to the airport. As soon as I live, leave, leave here, I travel now for a living. Somebody said, where do you live? I said, in a Marriott property somewhere each week. This bag has been, I think last year, uh, 27 states. And, and, and many of them multiple times, like Florida and Texas and North Carolina and Virginia, a lot of time there. And uh, this, is my, this is my bag. It's, it's just, I picked it out. It's my bag. I love it. I'm not going uh, to take, take anything out of it. But I am going to tell you what I do every time. In fact, I'll do this later today. I'll take this bag, and when I get to the airport, I'll take this key fob out of my pocket for my, for my car. And I will take that key fob and I will drop it down. There's a little pocket inside of here. And then when I get back to the airport, when I come back next Friday, I will, that'll be the first thing I do. Once I get off the plane, I'll reach in there. I always put it in the same place, every time. A few years ago, <laughs> this bag and I got back from a trip. I live two, two hours from the airport, so... Um, I never want to lose my keys, and that's why I do that every time. But I got back, I got off the plane, and I, walked, <laughs> I was walking toward the, uh, the, the garage, and I, uh, my bag fits on my, my uh, suitcase, and it's rolling. And so I'm op I open it up, and I reach down and get my keys. Just, just, I do it every time, just like clockwork. And they weren't there. Now, my, my wife, I love her, and she would do this, but I don't want to have to have her drive two hours for me just because I lost my keys on a trip. That wouldn't be fun. It just wouldn't be fun at all. So I dug in there. 
And I, and I had my arm down in there, and I'm, finally I stopped and I sat down. And, and, and then I, I don't know if you've ever lost anything and you really got to have it. I, <laughs> I start taking stuff out. I'm unpacking that thing right there. People are walking by, <clears throat> and I'm unpacking that thing, and I can't find my keys. I knew I'd put them in there, and I'd, they were there. I knew they were there, and I couldn't find them. So finally, without being carnal, hear this, I picked that case up, and I grabbed it by the nap of the neck, no, by the bottom of it, and I shook it with an attitude. And I just, and then my keys went sliding across the floor there at the airport. They were in there. Here's my point. Some of us perhaps need to unpack our bags once in a while. And get things in there that aren't necessary, out of the way. There are a lot of things I probably don't need in there to take with me, but I just, they just kind of add up and get in the way of other stuff. And it's not a bad thing from time to time just to unpack your spiritual bags and say, okay, Lord, what do I really need? What is not necessary in my life? Maybe it's what I watch or listen to. Maybe it's what I read or pay attention to. Maybe it's what I dwell on or worry about or think about or where I go. I don't know, but God does. I want a fresh experience with the Lord. And sometimes we've got to unpack our bags to get out of the way. We need to find, secondly, we need to find the key to his presence and never lose it. That little Cadillac out there will not start without this. I've tried. I've gotten all the way to the car with an armful of things, and the thing was locked. See, if you've got it, it'll just open up. And you can, but, but if you don't have this, you ain't getting in. It ain't going to work. Everything on there does work, but it won't work without the key. And do you know in our walk with the Lord, we must have the key. There's not access just because we're good enough or we're smart enough or we're rich enough or we're, or we're connected enough. We've got to have the key, and the key is Jesus. You've got to know him. He's got to be everything to you. We need to keep the key of his presence in our hearts and our lives. And lastly, I want to encourage you because I believe the future is filled with with new opportunities. God has new opportunities for you and for me. And maybe you've not experienced them today. Maybe, maybe they're going to happen Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday of next week where God's, your path's going to cross with an individual or something's going to happen to set things in motion. And what's most important perhaps is the question, are you ready for that? Are you listening to God? Are you hearing him? Those were the words that God said to Peter, and I think says to each one of us, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Don't just listen. Don't just go through the motions, but hear what he has to say. Hear me. God's plans for you are better than the wildest dreams you could ever have. One quick story, and I'm done, and if you have a need, you need, to, you need to get things out of the way. You need to empty the luggage of your spiritual life. If you, need to, if you need to truly secure that key and make sure you've got his presence and nothing hinders 
your communication with him, I invite you to come. Years ago, before my time, they had ice houses. I remember in Portsmouth, Ohio, where I grew up, where the ice house was. And, and, and often they would take ice, not like today, we just make it in our fridge, but they, they would freeze uh, water and cut it up and they would put it in these houses. It didn't last far into the summer. They'd pack it in sawdust and people would come and as they got their groceries, they'd drive by and get some ice and put it in their ice box and keep things cold when they got home. And this one particular day, a man had gone in to the ice room and he'd come out and his watch, a very expensive watch, was in there and he couldn't find it. He looked everywhere, he dug around the sawdust. Other men went in, they couldn't find it and they got frustrated and everybody went to lunch and this little boy saw what was going on and he snuck into the, to the ice room while they were at lunch and when they got back, he sat there with the watch, kind of spinning it on his chain. Here it is. He said, how did you find it? We looked everywhere in there. He said, well, he said, what I did was, he said, I laid down and I was real still. And he said, then I heard it ticking and I found it. Maybe we need to slow down. Maybe you need to decongest some of the things that keep us busy. Because I promise you, you don't want to miss hearing Jesus. Jesus.